conversations in our conference have been based upon the idea that what's happened here with Christianity is that we've created a simulacrum of the actual original faith delivered from Jesus Christ to the apostles, what was then, of course, inspired in the transmission of that into the scriptures, and then the understanding that that has been our base, our, our foundation for understanding what Christianity is. And we have to understand that that's gone through 2,000 years of, in many times, being thrown into a tree shredder at certain points or another, right? I want you to think about something, though. When we think about the inspiration, but then the transmission of the text, meaning where the text has gone out through to different areas, especially at that time in Asia Minor, Northern Africa, around Europe, is that we understand that within the manuscript tradition, that one thing that happened is that you didn't have a golden index of necessarily the original autographa. Is that you didn't have, okay, this is definitely the definite collection, almost like how you have folks that are KJV only, right? As, as if the, the Bible in its form was dropped into the, into the lap of someone, and this is the absolute authoritative side of things. We understand that, that, that all the letters and that tradition, remember that at the time, Christianity was not always a legal faith that you could hold or legal gatherings that you could hold. So in essence, when you got, oh, hey, look, I just got Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, I need it back tomorrow because I'm going to be leaving after I, after I preach here at your gathering. So if you want to copy it real quick, well, you couldn't put it on a scanner. You couldn't give it to somebody on a thumb drive. Usually, it was either given in the back of vellum, which would be like cow skin or an animal skin that was dried and then <laughs> written or etched on it, or it was done on folded papyrus leaves, right? But you would have to do that quickly. And then someone would maybe would come by and, look, I've got actually Matthew's gospel. Or, you know, I actually have 1 John. They didn't call it 1 John, but I have one of, the, one of the letters from John. And so you would quickly copy and move. So in that transmission period, there would be as well occasionally a scribal error that would happen. Or maybe you're writing it on... Um, on vellum, you know, on an animal skin. And as you're writing, you can't tell whether that, that was a scratch from a rose bush that the cow went by, or if it's another Greek letter or whatever it may be. You know, you can't tell exactly what it was. So you would have some scribal errors or maybe some questions about what that is as it's transmitted again. So through the process of textual transmission, and then as well as our understanding of looking back at those manuscripts, we can start to find what was consistent and according to the earliest tradition and so forth to be able to give us what we would understand as the word of God in its most accurate form. But there was no golden index. It didn't drop out of the sky from heaven. So we have to understand that. But then as well, what was considered to be scripture, what was considered to be the word of God 
as opposed to what they would know would definitely be error. But remember, at this time, you had all sorts of churches would be ecclesial gatherings. Now, it wasn't because you were going down one of the Roman roads with your cart and you know, with your family and so forth as you were going past, oh, there's a steeple over there with a cross. That must be a Christian church. And see their billboard out front to make sure they pulled you in. That didn't happen then, right? You couldn't look up on a website to see, well, what churches are near me that have you know, what I would understand to be the true way of expositing the word. No, most of it was quiet. But those quiet churches would bring other people to them, even at great sacrifice, to do so. So within that tradition, you as well would have someone say, well, you know what I have? And this would be, let's say, in the early or mid-second century, I have a, the Gospel of Thomas. Or I have the infancy Gospels of James. And you might go, well, what is that? I have the Pistis Sophia. Okay? So you would have to then start to discern between not just what is errors, maybe a scribal error in the, in the transmission of Scripture, but then actually what is Scripture and what is not. But if someone says, hey, I've got the Gospel of Thomas, you're like, hey, sure, well, let's copy it, let's keep it. So that as well would be transmitted. Well, then you'd start to look at it and go, wow, some of the things being said here differ quite a bit from what it says, from what I have from John, or what I have from that letter of Paul. That's a question about Thomas anyway, but was this even Thomas? You know, we didn't start to see this particular thing being circulated until the mid-second century. So what is it? And what are these other things? And again, that's the process of coming to the point where we would eventually have canonization. Is that there was still some questioning of, well, what is true and what isn't true? And sometimes people that, look, maybe they distributed these false letters or these false gospels without really any evil intent. They just thought, it, hey, this is the next big thing. Wow, we're lucky to have this. We're so blessed to have this. So you can see how those sorts of things happen if we take it out of the scientific and we take it out of the seminary and the scholastic understanding. You can just see how human nature, something like that would happen. But just like it is with all of us, you have to be discerning about what comes to you. Because today, anything can come to you at any time. It's very rare that you have your own free time to consider things that you've been taught, or you start listening to certain, right, we, we all have our favorite pastors that we listen to, or theologians that we follow with their podcasts, with the literature that they put out, right? And you say, oh, I'm definitely a, you name the guy, right? I'm definitely a R.C. Sproul, which I was very much and still am. I listen to R.C. I listen to everything that R.C. has ever said, and I can say that without a doubt. And that was back in the years when I was a tennis professional. 
sweeping courts, lining courts, when we're, before we're getting ready and afterwards, that would be in my Walkman, if you remember those things. <laughs> I don't know who it might be with you. Maybe there's somebody that you listen to. Maybe you're somebody that started listening to Tim Keller. And yeah, there are some good things that Tim Keller said, but then there were some things like, wait, what? Oh, that's okay, but he really said some good things that really made sense to me. But then you start listening more. It's like, hold on a second. No, I can't be that. I mean, look, he's PCA. Look, Reformed Theological Seminary has a partnership with him in New York, right? So something can't be wrong there. But just like those Christians and those pastors and those faith communities, those Christian communities back in the first, second, third, fourth centuries had to start discerning their way through some of the things that were arriving at their doorsteps that they were told to replicate. So too, we must do the same. And we actually need to look back as well to see really whether or not we've lost something along the way. Whether some of the shoulders we think we're standing on from this previous generation or current generation are shoulders that are not worthy for us to stand on. And maybe whether or not what we've done is we've actually created that clergy separation between the laity, much like what you would have within the Roman Catholic Church, that Protestantism in many ways said, we have a priesthood of all believers. We all have a responsibility to know the word. Because now we all have the word, as opposed to an expert class that will tell us what we need to know. Well, if you're the expert class that somehow has this word of God that is almost like the golden index, and it's behind an altar, and we will tell you what you need to know, but we don't have the printing press yet, so you have to believe what we tell you. Well, that gives us an opportunity to start changing a few things that might benefit us and not you. And you have to wonder, because we're at an age, right, where maybe on your phone... This is the case with me, or on my laptop, I've got 200 different versions and translations of the Bible. You know, I have the Greek. I have the NA27. I have, as well, if you go to my library at my house, I've got all sorts of different Bibles, right? You know, not just different translations. You know, the good ones, you know, the New King James and the NASB and so forth, but then the really bad ones, I've got the message and all sorts of other stuff. And I've got blue Bibles and black Bibles and brown Bibles and red Bibles and the Jerusalem Bible and this Bible. How many of you really spend time in that at all? Even like, pick one. Pick the King, New King James or the King James or the NASB, whatever's easier for you to memorize. How many of you really know it? So you can discern. And these are questions that the early church was grappling with as well. With the little that they had. Because sooner or later, something or someone comes along and wants to manipulate you. And especially when it is another religion altogether. But it's a religion that is really, really cleverly designed. It's almost weaponized, if you will. And it's weaponized in such a way towards parasitic in nature. 
And this parasite, what it doesn't do is it doesn't come along and latch on and immediately transform you to where everybody around you can go, wow, something's happened with Mike. Something's definitely changed. He doesn't speak like he used to. He doesn't look like he used to. There's something wrong. No, it's a very incremental, gradual process of bringing you to something else. That's where you can get fooled, right? Or we all can be fooled. Well, let's read through this together. And this is from Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 9. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. When we think about where we are within our epoch of time, I can't just say our civilization, I can't just say within our nation, I can't just say within our church. This is all-encompassing. It's as if an alien creature of some sort with some sort of veil or fog has enveloped the world to begin to change the world from what was true to something completely different. It's all-encompassing. And unfortunately, those are things that have been said to me. That this change will be coming, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's almost like, well, you might as well be along for the ride, if you know what's good for you. I know what's good for me, and I know what's good for you, and I know what's good for the church. I know what's good for the nation. Is that we say, this isn't a ride I'm going to take with you. And no matter what your gender is, I should say what your sex is, what your ethnicity is, and what your age is, this is the time for you to stand and say, this far, no further. And actually, we're going to take the ratchet back. We're not going to go down these rides anymore. So we're going to try to preserve objectivity in the Christian faith. What Scripture indicates is that the old truths are the old truths. They are timeless. They are constant. Because they're objective in a sense. 
And nearly always, the new lies of today are actually the old lies. They're the same ones. In many ways, they haven't changed, but it's been, you know one of the phrases that you've heard over the past year and a half that you need to get in your mind when you see anything? It's the phrase, gain of function. How something that was a virus was made a little bit better and a little bit better, a little more transmissible, a little more effective in killing the host, etc. The old lies have been through the process of gain of function, but they're parasitic in nature. And wherever that parasite latches on, it can start to change those things. It's about being faithful to what you know to be true. Now, this is a statement from Irenaeus of Lyon. And let me go back, because I'm gonna, I don't want you to get caught up in this so quickly. Irenaeus of Lyon, do you know where Lyon, France is? Lyon, France is on the eastern middle portion of France. And in that eastern middle portion of France is above, of course, some of the more beautiful areas of France in the south. It's just to the east of the Alps. Beautiful, beautiful region. region. The Rhone River flows through it. There's a hill that comes down from the top and flows down into the... Oh, it's just gorgeous. I've been there several times. And Irenaeus was from, Sirius, from, from Syria and had been tutored by some of the early church fathers, as he was as well a church father. So he came into Lyon to take the role of being bishop there after the previous bishop was executed. So he's walking into a hostile situation. But what he had encountered was Gnosticism. And so when he's trying to describe what Gnosticism actually is, you want to pay attention because it's his against heresies, which is one of the first major apologetics of the Christian church. And one that first major work against heresy was against the heresy of Gnosticism. Remember what our theme of our conference is. It's the simulacrum of Christianity, something that's faking itself to try to represent itself as being real. Regarding Gnosticism, this is what Irenaeus says. Error, indeed, is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest, being thus exposed, it should at once be detected. In other words, you know that, oh, that's error right there. On the contrary, it dresses elegantly so that the unwary may be led to believe that it is more true than the truth itself. James and Mike Young have spoken about here over the last couple days. What I addressed as well is the concept of hyperreality. And what hyperreality is, is it's not reality. It's more real than real. 
Do you remember the strawberry example from yesterday? That the original strawberry was good, was delicious, it was organic, it could be picked off the ground. Well then, if you get past five or six stages of strawberry jam, of then strawberry candy, then into strawberry soda, then eventually a strawberry Slurpee, you get so far away from what the actual original was, the reality. And then when you embrace what that is six stages down the road, is that what was hyper-reality seems more real than real. It's the thing that you really like. But it bears no resemblance to the original. And that's what Irenaeus was trying to describe when he was trying to help people understand what made Gnosticism such a danger to the Christian faith that he was giving his life for to make sure that people understood the way, the truth, and the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But people with itching ears don't necessarily want that. People with itching ears, sometimes, they want to hear the new thing that is the answer that everybody else is doing too. Or everybody else says this thing is wrong, so I better say it's wrong too. And you get moved along with the crowd. Or if you have someone that actually targets something and then doesn't give you evidence for what they're trying to say, not consistent evidence, but they have another purpose too, and you have to start discerning. In other words, don't believe anything that I'm telling you. Check it. Look for it. That's very important. So we're talking about something that is more truth than the truth itself. Irenaeus is opposing, not, he's opposing Gnosticism's claims of hyper-reality. It's a hyper-real Christian faith. You see, it's not just Christianity. It's better than the original Christianity. It's the new Coke. Now, some of you that laughed, I know how old you are now. <laughs> that was an 80s thing, I think, or early 90s. So it's the new thing that's better than the original. You'll like this one better. And we have a different take on it that'll make more sense to you this time, right? Well, Gnosticism taught that the material world, the physical material world, the thing that you see, the thing that you hear, the thing that you smell, was created by an evil being, the Demiurge, and that Christ came to earth to liberate people from this evil world through the spiritual experience called gnosis or knowledge, the root of the word Gnostic. So the idea was that anything that you're experiencing now in this dimension, this isn't really the reality. The thing that you can't see, the thing that is immaterial, is the real. So all of this is evil. So it's taking what was true on some, to some extent, you know, that we don't want to be compelled necessarily by the flesh 
in the things that we do. But then it's actually calling those things that are, saying that they are not reality in the new reality that actually you need to be transformed into through this secret knowledge. You see what I'm saying? So more or less, if you were to, to use a current example of this, is that how many people now, especially those of you that have kids or grandkids, how many even people that are young adults or even my age spend more time in the digital realm than in the real realm? How many times do you go out to dinner and you see a family of four, mother, father, daughter, son, young daughter, young son, and everybody's on their smartphones through the whole thing, not looking at one another in the eye and talking and having a conversation. But yet they're pulled into the non-reality of things. To where, look, even some of us, it's like what's more important to us is what happens on Twitter than what happens here in real life. Now, without a doubt, Twitter can be a very good tool to communicate things to people. But what we should be doing is drawing people out of the digital and into the real, as opposed to drawing people out of the real and into the digital. But instead, if you actually start to listen to things like what you heard from Pat yesterday, is that what we're doing as a whole right now is trying to, and this happened big during 2020 and 21, is the attempt was to bring you out of the real and out of your jobs and out of your church and out of your gathering into gathering through the digital to where the only time that you had a relationship with anyone was through a screen. And you think about it during that time and even now in some places, Back during COVID, when you did go out into the real world, to the bank, or maybe when they forced you all to shop at one place like Walmart, as opposed to necessarily spreading it out with your local grocers, you all had to go to one place. That made a lot of sense, didn't it? But then when you were doing a transaction at a hotel, at Walmart, at wherever it may be, you had to talk through somebody through a plastic screen. You see, you've been through obedience school over the last few years in a way that you now need to relate to one another. And it almost seems uncomfortable now to come up and actually have a conversation with somebody face-to-face -face and look them in the eye. Maybe get a little bit awkward because it's more comfortable to be here. And you see young men and young women now who've grown up for the past 10, 12 years not learning those simple social skills or simply a, a glance or a smile or whatever it may. And so what they're told is, is that simple glance or that smile or that body position is evil. Why do you think that young men and young women are not getting married? Why do you think birth rates are so low? Because people aren't even interpreting one another well anymore. Those unspoken things, because we're looking through a screen. You see, we are being brought out of the physical world into the digital world. 
And so instead of that real relationship that you have with someone, where you empathetically care about them, instead, you can control the way you appear to someone. You can control what you say to someone and be able to edit it. So the thing that they're having a relationship is not you, it's an avatar of you. It's you call LARPing, live action role-playing. So also the Gospel of Philip, which is another Gnostic gospel that made its rounds, said the world came into being through a mistake. And what we need to do is then transition back into this more spiritual, immaterial world. And this is one of the big texts. Make sure. Quote, this is from the Gospel of Thomas. Quote, Simon Peter said to him, quote, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. End quote. And you thought transsexuality was a new thing. No, it, it was just waiting for technology to catch up to it. I'm not joking. What you're experiencing is Gnosticism. And not only are you talking about a simulacra, a simulacrity of Christianity, you're talking about a simulacrum of Jesus Christ. Gnosticism is trying to sell you the trans-Jesus. This is what is happening. So what is happening today in the 21st century, what had started quite a while ago, was you're waiting for technology to catch up. You're waiting for media to catch up. You're waiting for overwhelming propaganda delivered through different media sources, through different spiritual sources that would somehow be parasitic in nature, that were not the real, that pretended to be the real, but came through authoritative sources that are going to start to sell you on this heresy of trans-Christianity. It's a trans-Christian cult with its own trans-Jesus. And this is the largest world cult startup in the history of mankind. And most of the major denominations and religious groups are along for the ride. But it's not just Gnosticism. It's, com it's combined with Hermeticism. And remember what we had talked about before? We've been talking about this for years. 
that it's alchemy as well. Just the alchemical process. Now, the theology of Gnosticism was based on a particular type of dualism called anti-cosmicism, which means that the Gnostics were against anti, the world, cosmos. They believed that matter and the spiritual were antithetical to one another. Instead, true spirituality consisted of escaping the bonds of this earthly prison by awakening to the transcendent divinity that lies within oneself. And the reason why you've heard that through the New Age, the reason that you started to hear that through some of more the Gnostic perversions of what would be, let's say, what's coming through radical subjectivism, critical theory, and so forth, is that the idea is that we will then participate as fragments of what can be God, and we will create God in our image. Is that God did not create us in his image, the Imago Dei. We will create God in our image. They've reversed the entire process. Do you understand what's happening? And this is what is going on. So you need to escape the bonds of this earthly prison, put your head in a screen all the time, or, as now we're going into, putting goggles onto your head and escaping into the metaverse where you can buy and sell and have your own house in your virtual universe, or eventually where we're going to go, and this is when I would say this four or five years ago to people, they would eventually roll their eyes and dismiss me, but you would have cognitive implants that would help you to escape reality or that would be able to tell you what reality is so even your memories that you would have of what was real could be changed, altered, or new good memories can replace the old bad memories. Your old thoughts that you had can be replaced with new thoughts. Your old education that you had can be replaced with new education. And they'll even try to sell it to you by, wow, you can download Spanish in 15 seconds and be fluent with it. You can download knowledge that you've never had before. So we're going to place your old thoughts with new thoughts and help to help give you good thoughts that would help all of us to be able to be on the same page, more or less with a global brain called a hive mind. And we can replace your old God and your old faith with a new, better, and improved faith of a new God. And maybe you haven't thought about it that far consequentially before. But that's where we're going. The Gnostics created a simulacrum of Christianity. And again, a simulacrum is something that replaces reality with its representation. Just giving it to you in simple form. So you are in the midst of a change from an analog, objective, physical world and into a digital, subjective, spiritual world. 
Now, there's a lot of people that would like to move from the conversation as if the conversation was actually about critical race theory or just about intersectionality. As soon as we understood what those things were, we could move along. No. Those things were just the first process of getting us to where we needed to be because it needed to fracture everything and it needed to give you a critical consciousness. And then as well now, that same parasite is attaching itself to the conservative side of things where they're going to have people now from a conservative side develop a critical consciousness as well, which will lead to further balkanization and separation so we lose our nation. So we fracture previously united groups within the faith. Some of us had differences or paedo-baptists and credo-baptists and so forth but that we would be together united for one thing that seemed to be conservative but actually is not. And that would tell us that what we need to do is give up on our liberties, on our freedoms. Even questioning things like freedom of speech. But you know, they're not really concerned about freedom of speech. I don't know if you knew that or not. They'll actually say, yes, well, we believe in freedom of speech. But you know, you don't have any laws on the books about cognitive liberty or freedom of thought. You don't have any rules in the books. So as long as we can control your thoughts, then you can say anything you want. Because anything you say will be what we want you to say. Because you won't have your own thoughts. This isn't 100 years in the future. I'm talking 8 to 10 years in the future. That's how quickly we get there. So what's happening now is you're building the infrastructure and the architecture of what would allow those things to happen within a legal construct, within a, a construct of a social contract that would have us all say, yeah, I guess those are good things. We should do that. And as well, creating as much chaos as possible and separating, as I said before, previously united groups against what was happening from the left side, fracturing them, setting them against one another. Brothers, sisters, those that are involved in that kind of fracturing, I need to be careful because I need to still have a bridge there. And if you're one of those people that knows what you're doing, is being encouraged to do what you're doing, to fracture and divide believers and people that are trying to save Yes, Christianity and this faith and the gospel, people who are trying to save the nation and people who are trying to save humanity itself. I don't know how you sleep at night, and I hope you don't, but there is a bridge for you to come back. Repent of what you're doing. Receive the gospel, the true gospel. And let's be about saving this world, this faith, and this nation. Let's pray. Well, Father, we know that you are the source of truth. You are the source of light. Lord, we pray that that light and your word, the Logos, will enlighten our path, will give us sight, 
and as well those that are blinded by this pathos. I pray, Lord, that you would intervene at this moment of history and help us to save the faith, to save humanity, and to allow us to, co to continue to live in your grace. But Lord, if you see fit to punish us for our lack of faithfulness, if you see fit to punish us for our lack of prioritizing things as they should be, if you see fit to punish us for our unwillingness to stand and speak for you and for the truth that we see before us, Well, if we perish, we perish. And blessed be the name of the Lord. I thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. <laughs>